Welcome to Pull to Open. Yes, the quest, quest to watch all of Doctor Who in random order. Did I screw that up? No. No, you go no, ahead. I think you, no, you, you go, did dude. it perfectly. No, 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 no. You're listening to Pull to Open, a quest to watch all of Doctor Who in random order. Awesome. And I'm Pete Paschal. And I'm Chris Taylor. And we're a couple of guys who really love the show, even if it's sometimes hard to tell. Only sometimes. <laughs> Which might be every broadcast. But what do you yes. do? How are you doing, Chris? Uh, well, good, good. I'm very, very excited about um, where the randomizers landed us this week. And I'm so excited that it doesn't even matter that, that I haven't slept particularly well or that, um, you know, I, yeah. I, that I only got about like six hours of sleep. I'm, I'm drinking my dark brown water. Nice. So it's um, morning for you. Like, yeah, this is our, our time difference. <laughs> it's just I just I just had lunch. Time dilation effect. I know. Somehow it's relative. <laughs> I feel like I'm talking to someone in the past. It's like it's like frequency. You are. You literally <laughs> are. It's very exciting. Let me know what happens in the next three hours of uh, exciting news events. All right. Um, so I... we listened to Doctor Who, or rather we watched Doctor Who on random. Mm -hmm. uh, using the randomizer, it takes us to a different episode or a different story every week. Uh, both the classic and the new show are included in this list. Um and this is the first time that the randomizer took us to, uh, to the new show. Yeah, uh, yeah. It didn't take it long. It was uh, <laughs> we we spent a little time in the eighties, the and then and we were rocked mm -hmm. right back to uh, the modern era. We uh, you know previously on Pull to Open, we went to the King's Demons after having gone to Planet of Fire, uh, which was kind of spooky because mm -hmm. those episodes go together. And the randomizer then took us to another master episode. Right. Another Three master, master episodes in a, in yeah, a row. A, a big deal with the master um, and, and other robotic creatures, I would add. And um, it is <laughs> Dark Water and Death in Heaven, the two-part yes. season finale of season eight, uh, which was the first season, uh, series eight, I should say, rather. Series eight in the new series. Uh, the first season with Peter Capaldi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as it's, the doctor. It's nice. It's so nice to see a Peter Capaldi first season episode without the context of him coming straight after Matt Smith. Because for me, Matt Smith was a hard act to follow. Yes. Uh, Capaldi just, I you know, I love his work, but I it just seemed a little off. It seemed wrong. I, you know, in, in my uh, fantasy order of Doctor Who lives, I think Jodie Whittaker should have gone next. And then maybe we go back to Capaldi. But... Yeah, and I think I think we'll talk about that because of the big reveal in this episode. Uh, but yeah. I, I I agree with you certainly totally on on Matt Smith. And I would add, add with Capaldi, the first season is really a journey for like him and I think the audience. And mm. um, I think the way they sort of end it, I don't know if they're, I don't know if they're consciously foreshadowing at this point. But in my mind, Capaldi uh, versus the other Doctors, he's kind of the one that was kind of reworked the most. To some extent, mm. um, yeah. certainly starting in the second season, and you start to see a little bit of that. I think here, uh, it probably started even before this one, but his edge, uh, yeah, tends to start to soften a bit, even though it the does. episode He's... begins with with the hard edge of it. So. <laughs> he, uh, yeah, he he becomes less Malcolm Tucker over the course of his run, yeah, um, and uh, and a little more actually the Doctor. Uh, so he grows into the role. Um, yeah. But but it's interesting as a, you know just to finish that thought to come to Capaldi straight from Peter Davison is a different proposition, 
And so I was much more blown away by this on the second viewing. Um, how do you how do you the, think those two doctors contrast? Uh, they clearly do, but like, what what struck mm. you so much is about like going from especially late era Davidson, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, Davidson, you know, later era Davidson, he's obviously a little bit darker. We we talked a bit about the fact that he you know kills Chameleon in Planet of Fire. Yeah. Um, which I looked it up. That's like the the only person to or creature to have been killed consciousness to being killed by the tissue compression eliminator uh in, in the whole of like the fifth sixth and seventh doctor runs so oh <laughs> you know there's threatening with it in other in other parts there's the doctor disabling the master's tardis with it but the only person who gets killed after legopolis is is chameleon so <laughs> true uh, only characters and I think there's like off-screen stuff implied here and there. If mm. I really have think hard, I think when they come into the sort of tomb in time flight, there's shrunken Xerophins. Yes. And then there's I, I, I'd have we'd have to watch it. I'm sure we will someday. Mm. Uh, Mark of the Ronnie. There was probably something. But yeah, I think oh, you're right. Like that. no one's actually like killed by the tissue compression eliminator, except yeah. him. So this has made me realize that the Lady of Davison was was even darker than I thought. Um, yeah. So contrasting that with Capaldi was was very interesting. It just Capaldi's just much more animated. He's having a lot of fun with the role. Davison, I think, by the end is sort of running on fumes a little bit. Um, but anyway, it was just a wonderful setup, I think, to to see this. And I think the, okay, the bite your tongue about why... Davison there for a second. He was <laughs> not running on fumes. He was giving it as his all, but. Uh, I do, yes. I do, I do get the, the, the big animation. Yes, I think Capaldi's really, really great in this. Yeah, he's he's on another level, and I really appreciated his work much more doing it this way around. Um, so thank you, Randomizer, and thank you also, Randomizer, for bringing us from one of the Master's worst plots and worst reveals to, I think, and we'll we'll get into the discussion of this, but one of the Master's best plots. And definitely a contender for, for best reveal. I would have um, to give a hard agree on both of those. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's a contender for, for number one. It's a contender. It, to me, it's, it's, it's either this or Derek Jacobi as the master. Uh, yes, that's the only other one. That's really where my wine went, the, the, the trilogy at the end of season three. Because um, yeah. there's so much. Oh, my God. And the, the plan as well. Uh, again, uh, yeah. So it'd be, it's a tough one to... We'd have to. We should do. <laughs> we should put the question to the fans. What do you guys think? Which was better, um, mm. this or that? But uh, we can maybe do that in a bit. So one more thing before we really get going. There's this is an amusing just side note. So as some people listening may know, the three people listening uh, who um, <laughs> may have worked with us before, um, which mm. we have worked together at Mashable. So I we used to write. Or at least I did. Um, we both did, but I, I, we wrote a little bit about Doctor Who at Mashable, and this right. particular season ender, I actually did the recaps for oh. for Mashable back in the day. Back in the, they were aired in 2014. Um, I, that's hilarious. I was wondering who did our recap because I'd done some from earlier in the season. I think I did Time Heist, right? Uh, and uh, and then I went on to do. I think well, maybe all of the recaps. Well, half of the recaps of the next Probably season. Probably more than... I, I got into it a lot more in Capaldi's second season. But you did this one. This is fantastic. So you, you've you got... 
even more knowledge at your fingertips. Well, I just I, I hadn't read gone back and read them until we did this, until I'd I'd actually rewatched them. And yeah. um this is back when recaps I don't know if recaps are still a thing, so you're kind of more summarizing with commentary than than giving sort of a review. Um mm. and, and it mirrors a lot of what we just talked about in terms of like like I was I was very effusive in my praise, certainly of Dark Water, saying that uh it's back on track and um, Death in Heaven. There's something. I've been amusing, in hindsight, uh, naive comment about uh, deaths. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's in the title. It's all about death. Mm. But uh, we'll we'll get to it. But I, I sort of took one of their deaths as real, uh, or not a comic book death. When in fact, it comes. Of course, all deaths. <laughs> Doctor Who, to some extent, are comic book deaths. So that was silly of me. Uh, but generally, like I found myself oh, wow. nodding along. You've left us a cliffhanger. Green. I like. I, I found myself I, nodding I along the reveal. With, with my 2014 self. Yes, this mm. is... I, I don't think I've changed all that much in terms of my my view of the show. Um, and in fact, if, if anything, I've gotten a little more favorable because of, um, you know, now that Moffat's gone and I can sort of... I Some of his writing used to irritate me and now I can sort of look mm. back and appreciate the better things about what he's doing and not get so caught up in some of the nagging things although they do still nag at me and i'll bring them up <laughs> same hard same um this this definitely improved for me on, on the second viewing uh far superior to my 2014 viewing which for me a lot of uh death in heaven especially was was some of the dumbest stuff uh that i felt moffat had written at the time and then seeing it again it definitely changed things for me so i i really appreciate Stephen Moffat a, a lot more. Uh, now we're out of the Moffat era, and I appreciated him a hell of a lot more on on second viewing of his stuff because I think you see the sort of intricate connectedness of the plot. You see more what of what, what he was going for, um, and mm -hmm. there are still issues. It also, I mean, it is we we should say while we're still talking about these two episodes in general, some of the darkest Doctor Who, well, that has ever been shown. Yes, I would totally and, agree. And, and there were complaints at the time about this and i can oh. see why there were, there were complaints to the bbc that this was not appropriate for children right yes particularly in part one um yeah let's get to it we start with dark water um and there's this uh well we start with clara on the phone essentially um mm -hmm. talking to her boyfriend danny who has been her love interest all season and she hasn't and been entirely so honest. So many, so many post-it notes. Yeah. So many post-it <laughs> well, notes. Well, she's there in her apartment, and she's on the phone, and she's, you know, she's there to call, call and tell her, tell him she loves him, and that, uh, you know, she then is going to, clearly has a plan to be honest with her about her adventuring with the doctor, which she, she had mm. basically told him she wasn't doing anymore. She clearly is. Um, and I love, I love the shelf. Um, which is funny. I, I didn't catch this the first time, um, and I actually had to look this up. But on that shelf is the hyperspace body swap ticket. I don't know if you caught this, uh, uh, which no. apparently was a thing in a little teaser they filmed with Matt Smith for the 2013 proms. Oh, <laughs> so hilarious! It's right there, and she just like it sort of makes that instantly canon, which I love. 
<laughs> yes. It's so many Easter eggs uh, on that shelf. I'm, I'm sure if we went back and studied it, we'd find more. The one thing that I wanted to mention is you see one post-it note that says The Impossible Girl. Um, right. And this is the only reference, I believe, to, the, so far as I can remember, to that whole plot that Clara is the impossible girl and is appearing throughout the Doctor's entire timeline, which we learned in Name of the Doctor, and then we just sort of got conveniently dropped. Um, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Annoyed me. It's kind of. I just I think it's kind of a relief that was dropped because it doesn't quite hold up, and and it sort of works for recent adventures, but not so much in. The, the, I don't know. Just the Impossible Girl thing was clever. Um, but it, it, one of the things it does, it sort of inadvertently, maybe advertently, makes her a bit of a Mary Sue character. Like, yeah. And even if you know she's still just a girl in all of these um, interventions in the Doctor's pa- past. So I think with Capaldi, they very consciously tried to humanize her more and right. portray her with flaws and issues. And they're certainly on full display in this episode. But I remember just being a little bit heartened by that post-it note at the time because it was like the first reference all season to this thing that had been such a big deal the previous season. Right, right. Uh, and I was like, okay, well, thank you for giving that little, you know, Easter egg for the fans so we know that it's still a thing. You haven't just completely rewritten time. So she continues to talk to him. Um, she tells him the she loves him and then he doesn't say anything back. And of course, it's because her, his life has just been tragically cut short uh, by getting hit by a car. And uh, again, we're starting with really dark stuff here. Uh, yeah. It's, Has this ever happened, in, in, uh, to your knowledge, in any other episode of Doctor Who that someone is killed so normally? Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd really have to rack my brain. That's a really good question. Trying to think, and, not and that's really sort of part of the power of this is yeah. that it is, you know, at least in the new show, and at least sort of within within living memory for the audience, um, the first time that this happened, and Clara, you know, indeed goes on to say, it was just a boring death. Yeah, you know, that's when she's in the middle of her grief with her grandmother, who's showing up for the first time since uh, time of the Doctor. Uh, yeah, and that's a sad, it, sad conversation. Um, yeah, and and one that I think you know anyone who, who's uh, gone through grief recently can certainly identify with that that feeling of like oh that was just it was just a bad death it was just boring it was just normal and that's one of the scariest things that 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 Doctor Who can can present is just an ordinary death and I I like that they did that however it did not seem to me realistic that we sh- she wouldn't blame herself. <laughs> <laughs> right, in some way. being on the phone. Yeah, that yeah. that's sort of glossed over. I mean, you could you could sort of think they're implying it a little bit with some some of her demeanor, but I mean, she, it never really comes up. So I, I don't think that's what they were trying to do. Yeah, it's it's I I I thought about it. He even I think says afterward. to her, he even says to her in like one of his last minutes of life, like, "Can't this wait? I'm almost there." Right. He's on his way to her. Why did she have to do it on the phone? Uh, I mean, I'm, I think the idea is like she didn't. She wanted to do it with this safe sort of virtual distance between the two of them, and she didn't have to do it right to mm-hmm. his face, depending on how he reacted. Um, so it's probably giving well, her that, a little bit of safety. 
But no, I totally Let get that. Be a lesson for post-COVID times. Once we can actually meet in person again, you know, always do it in person if you can, so that the other person doesn't get knocked over by a car. <laughs> um, talking about your revelation, I will say what this does. If you hadn't already in this season, and it's hard to remember where what I was thinking about Danny in this season, but uh, it, it's almost like with a, a single stroke, they make you care about Danny because his death is so real and it's affecting Clara. And you, you know, to to the extent you're obviously watching the show because you care somewhat about these characters, but um, it's one of those things. Oh wow, like Danny, maybe I didn't like him, but I really sad he's gone all of a sudden. Yeah, because it's so real. I actually. I I really connected with Danny before this. Um, I think Danny was possibly the most sympathetic character in the whole season, uh, especially because the Doctor is such an asshole to him. Right. <laughs> calls him. And PE. keeps calling, calls him PE. Which first of all, that is an American thing, right? You do have PE class here over over here as well. Of um, course. And sometimes you call it phys ed or, or whatever. You know, there's like seems to be slight regional variations. Sure, it's it's good to know because it just it seems such a British thing, especially the way the doctor said it. PE, um, yeah, with this, you know, such an insult, such down. a sneering yeah. insult. Danny didn't deserve that. He was smarter than that. And also, you know, I I feel like it's hard to ignore the kind of maybe subconscious racial undertones here. Like right. you know, the 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 doctor was kind of an asshole to Mickey Smith. Right. Um, and now at the first. doctor's being kind of an asshole to Danny Pink uh, at first, and it sort of it kind of works out eventually with both of them. But you, can't yeah. But in his wonder, defense, like... it's it's like there's there's undertones, perhaps, but the the yeah. idea of him being sort of jealous of the boyfriend um, yeah. because he's the boyfriend, right? I mean, that's always kind of what I sort of took those those sort of reactions to mean. And so you know, he's doing it in kind of a playful way. But yeah, I mean. It's um, Danny's very sympathetic, and if you would like, I don't know. I was never really. I think it's because I was never really that impressed with Clara in either of her sort of impossible girl or post impossible girl uh, personas. Mm. That I I don't know if I connected with Danny as much as you did, but I, I would say this episode in particular. I I remember. Oh yeah, this is the one that actually even me, sort of the skeptic about these characters, actually cared about them and. Mm. believed particularly i think jenna coleman is incredible in this pre-title sequence and then afterward because um just the look uh, you know the whole conversation we were referencing with her grandmother and then you know you just that moment where the doctor calls her back and it's like, so what can i do for you clara and just the look on her face and it's just really well cut there you know the madman with the time machine <laughs> asking mm. what can i do for you oh I, yeah yeah we know what what he can do for her. Um, yeah. yeah. And unlike in Father's Day, where he just, he's just like, Rose likes, let's, let's visit my dead dad. And he's like, okay, sure. <laughs> and here he's like, no, we cannot, we cannot do this. We cannot bring him back. Well, in, in, you know, in Father's Day, he didn't want to bring him back. It was just like risking it. Um, right. Again. Um, but anyway, cutting ahead a bit. So mm -hmm. he, he goes and picks her up. She does the subterfuge in the TARDIS. They, they got some interesting, like, tidbits of TARDIS and Dr. Life. Like, I guess he has seven different rings. Sorry, not rings. It's kind of <laughs> keys. <laughs> seven different keys. Yeah, seven, the seven keys of time. Um, well, I, that... I looked this up. I looked up how many, like, when when do we first see copies of the TARDIS key? And it's in uh, in Marco Polo. 
Oh. Way back in the William Hartnell era, uh, he Marco Polo steals a copy of the TARDIS key. So the Doctor has another one made, and then Marco Polo steals that one as well, and then eventually gives them both back to the Doctor. But like that's that's what we had in you know sixty three sixty four was just. Uh, uh, you know, single copies of the key, and now the Doctor is up to seven. So, well, I thought he's... I thought this was a reference. Actually, I don't know this because I actually haven't looked it up online. But I think it's a reference to Seven Keys to Doomsday. Ah, that which would make is sense. an audio story. I, I think uh, I forget what it was. Um, but it was there. There is a story called Doctor Who and the Seven Keys to Doomsday, which I'm, I'm ashamed to admit I've actually never read or heard. Um, but um, same. It's like, to, as for why they went with seven keys, I think that's it. It also gives Clara yeah. many chances to have the Doctor do what she wants when they get to the and lava one of those, One of those keys is hidden inside the Time Traveler's wife, which yes. I'm kind of disappointed in the Doctor for being so basic. I know, yeah. A little predictable there. <laughs> like, he's he's lived so many better stories than that. I, I love the Time Traveler's wife, but it just sort of, it seemed in this context, like, oh, really, Doctor, you would have that in your shelf? Hmm. Um, a little on the nose it's kind of like in the 96 movie when he's reading the time machine <laughs> very much so yeah uh, so, so they yeah, get on the so, lava planet so... and clara's mm-hmm. like um you know she's she's doing Gollum, right i mean she's basically i'm gonna i'm gonna throw this in the lava and you know it's very like sort of lord of the rings imagery and uh it is yeah she's throwing keys just... in the lava She's uh, evil Clara to an extent that she hasn't been. We're meant to read it as grief. And I right. get that, but it just sort of like when 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 part of your problem is that the audience isn't necessarily connecting with Clara. And I, I'll just save the rug. I'm not a Clara hater, but there was a lot of Clara hate. Uh, much of it came from my wife. Um, still does. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, yeah, was she leading but, you some know, internet groups. Uh, <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised if she was doing that on the side. But no, um, yeah, she just never really connected with the character. I think a lot of people had that problem. And then you just sort of make Clara go and, and do kind of crazy stuff like throwing TARDIS yeah. keys into lava. Well, I mean, I got, I'll, I'll also qualify. I don't, I, I, I don't think I'm a Clara hater. I'm, I, I'm, I, I'm not. I mean, I think she's fine. Uh, I think she, um, like, I, like I said before, I, I'm not entirely impressed with either sort of incarnation of her, but I think, you know, a lot of her stories work. And I do, I do think mm. she works a little better as a not impossible girl. Um, right. But she ends up throwing all these keys over into the lava. Uh, and in here, when she's threatening the doctor, you get that edge still with Capaldi, right? Because she says, Danny's yeah. dead. And he just goes, and? You know, like... <laughs> Which is like, and you, her reaction is our reaction. Like seriously, like nothing. Um, yeah, and it's very. Um, yeah, we're starting with that, uh, and I, I'm glad we sort of end with something else. But the yeah. this is why it was so hard coming after Matt Smith, right? Yeah, you, sort of, yeah. you kind of hate the Doctor a little bit in this season by design. Well, the thing is, he kind of like. It, it does it ends in a different place but even it even this mm-hmm. this sequence this set piece sort of ends in a different place because you know obviously there's the big reveal it's all an illusion it's uh the doctor was sort of uh manipulating her a bit to sort of see how far she would go on this and you know it's a little bit you know mislead for us as well obviously as in the audience and mm. he he sort of goes like i'm gonna well, he they they do they do a little too much almost on the misleading because he says like, 
go to hell. And she's like, okay. She takes that as like, you never want to see me again. I betrayed you. <laughs> and it turns out that that's, he was just saying, no, that they're literally going to go to hell because she wants to find Danny, who's dead. And they're going to have to like essentially go to the afterlife for that. And then she's like, but it ends with this really, really nice moment between the two of them where mm. she says, but you're still going to help me even though I just totally betrayed you. And she, he says, do you think I care for you so little that betraying me would make any difference? That is that was a line that got me the first time and it got me the second time. I think that was that was a very very sweet moment. Yeah. Yeah, it's very good. And how he how he sees her and their relationship, which of course, you know, goes to different places in the following season, uh and sort of but cements that whole idea of these two yeah, the and duty this unbreakable of care. bond. Mm. Um, yeah, very powerful stuff. So how do they do that? Well, they <laughs> conveniently, <laughs> it's the TARDIS telepathic circuits. And this is like full on Doctor Who science, um, you know, science and reality where you can, she can touch this squishy stuff on the console, think of Danny, and the TARDIS just kind of does the rest and takes them wherever they need to go, whether that's reality or outside reality or within or without the space-time continuum. And they're just going to get there. And it's it's makes no sense it's super convenient but i love it this is this is this is what doctor who does right i mean it's just it's what's on screen is is really like how this should work in your head and somehow the doctor who technology the gallifreyan machine just just does it um, Have they used the uh they'd used the telepathic circuits before sure yeah um and i can't remember when uh, but it was fairly recent in this one, yeah, yeah, the Capaldi, yeah, you're right. There was a, oh, what was it? Someone, someone, leave a review for the podcast <laughs> and, and tell us what it was. Um, but certainly, they've referenced right the now. telepathic circuits many, many, many times. Um, in, in you know, the, actually, John Pertwee probably talked about them the most in the old series. Uh, mm. And uh, the the telepathic but circuits could could always sort of be relied upon to essentially take the doctor where he needed to go when he couldn't switch a bunch of things and and <laughs> run around the console and decide. Can I to just go say for. it's it's super weird that I mean after after the Doctor's Wife episode, which is we we are post Doctor's Wife in the chronology, you have to kind of constantly think of the the TARDIS as a person. So right. these two episodes, this story is kind of weird because you have Clara sticking her hands in the TARDIS. Um, and then towards the end, not to spoil why, but the Doctor beats the console, which yes. is like he's literally abusing his wife there. That is not okay. Right, right. So um, it's sort of a little weird kind of interface with the TARDIS here. Yeah, he's, um, the, it's it, a person up until it's a machine. You know, like, it's funny, yeah. like, how we were talking about in um, Planet of Fire with these components getting put in and, and taken out of the console. Yeah. In that era, like, the TARDIS, like, it was a machine. It was, it, it's a time machine that has a bunch of circuits. And that hasn't always been the case. I don't think it was uh, that initially or, well, it kind of was. But, I mean, um, they kind of went back and forth in the old series of sort of how much is the TARDIS sort of not quite conscious but like is it a sort of character and then the new series sort of right. amped that up a bit and it's it's definitely gotten away from just the TARDIS is just a machine um, type of idea but anyway she yeah, plugs herself I... in and they go to wherever 
the TARDIS has decided that their timelines will next intersect, according to the Doctor. Um, so Convenient. Yes, very. <laughs> um, but we really, like, because they're teasing it, because they're saying, like, okay, we're going to find Danny, we cut to Danny, who yeah. is supposedly dead, but he's now uh, not in a morgue. He's not in a graveyard. He's actually, like, in an office somewhere. And yep, and he, in comes Seb. In comes Seb, the perhaps the most douchey guy <laughs> Doctor Who <laughs> has ever had. Uh, but douchey in a very British way. A yes, very sort of British middle now, class way. I, I don't know this actor. Do you? Yes, Chris Addison is, uh, is a lot of fun. He's he normally plays in comedies. He is in uh, the thick of it with oh. Peter Capaldi. Okay. Um, and he in that he plays a, a sort of a nerdy character in glasses in as as an advisor in a ministry in the British government. Uh, very similar in some ways to Seb. Seb he just sort of amps the douchiness up, like even the way he says things like, "Has anyone offered you a coffee?" <laughs> yes. Coffee. coffee. Little shake of the head. Uh, you know, which which is great for this role because he has so many douchey things to say. Oh, and he's always like gritting his teeth. Like, yeah, you know, it's supposed to be all about that. You know, and sort of trying to sort of <laughs> make everything sound like it's fine. Everything's fine, even though it's bad, but it's fine. Um, but in, we, we, we gather <laughs> from, so British. from their exchanges, he's in the afterlife somewhere. And it's yeah. it's one of these things where... Again, I think this is Doctor Who getting bold. I mean, why it shows the boldness of the episode. It's it's kind of um, trying to at this point, and you're not sure how how ambitious it is, but like this is the Doctor Who version of Afterlife, and and sort of it's it's like uh, if you ever saw that movie, Defending Your Life, I uh, didn't, which was an Albert Brooks movie from the '80s about a guy who dies in the dumbest way possible by getting hit by a bus. And then he's in heaven, and it's very much, you know, it's like another place. It's just, as this guy says, it's more life. Um, this is, it seems like this is almost like inspired a little bit by that. Now, not that that was necessarily the first work to. I'm, I'm going to have to watch that because I'm a big fan of like uh, Heaven Can Wait, um, the Warren Beatty movie. Oh, yeah. Um, it's a similar thing. He goes, goes to heaven and then gets sent back to earth. Um, I love that genre. Yeah, and, and I haven't seen enough of it. So defending your life is a is a great entry in it. Although this one sort of plugs that idea into like a good dose of Blade Runner, mm. and you have this you know cityscape outside that is it's like the inside of a sphere, which is very really weird. Uh, seems to go on forever, um, and that's sort of when we cut back to the Doctor and Clara, where they yeah, have just. I'll just say while we're still on the set, is is that that's the part where he says. Um, he says nether sphere for the first time and he's like yeah i i came up with that in a spitball <laughs> exactly <laughs> one of his douchiest lines i love it yeah so they're anyway. in the nether sphere and uh so the tardis lands where somewhere where danny is supposedly and he they, they he and claire walk out and they're now in what looks like a mausoleum and they have uh, fish tanks, but they're actually skeleton tanks. So there's all these skeletons within sort of fish tanks along the wall, and they're all sitting in these thrones in the water. Uh, it's all very weird. Now, I, I unfortunately, 
I think this is something unavoidable. Uh, if you're a fan these days, you kind of like it's really hard to avoid spoilers, right? Even like in advance mm-hmm. of the actual broadcast. So, uh, I you know I knew what those were, and I kind of you know made me think like even on the first time I watched it, and I I felt like. Are we being robbed in our current sort of era by not really, um, you know, you don't you don't get the reveals like you used to back in the classic series? Because I remember sort of reveals like at the end of Earthshock with the Cybermen mm. and other sort of shows, or even the the Dalek going up the stairs in remembrance of the Daleks, just being absolutely blown away by big reveals like that. And, you know, I kind of miss that. I kind of, you know, there's still reveals well, that we can get here and there when they keep the secrets, but it's so hard. I think it was kind of a sacrificial spoiler, um, to be honest. But I, and I think we couldn't avoid it because they they so wanted that picture of the Cybermen marching out of St. Paul's right um, in the press because it's such a compelling you know before and after uh, how it started, how it's going comparison, um, <laughs> and. That, because that, we uh, all thought, yeah, it just just occurs <laughs> to me someone's got to do that was... meme now because that meme was <laughs> yes. what did not exist back in 2014. So. <laughs> yes, we'll do it. We'll do it in the official pull to open account. Um, you could just do that for all the Cybermen appearances. <laughs> <laughs> Mondas Cyberman with current day. Anyway, um, pull to open sixty three on I Twitter. Feel... Yes, there we go. <laughs> um, I it was a sacrificial reveal. I. Uh, not not to skip ahead too much, but I'll just just say that I was blown away by the Missy is the master reveal. I would agree. Yeah, that was huge. Uh, were, were you you were not spoiled on that as well? No, I wasn't spoiled. I, I didn't know. I did not know, and yeah. I wanted to know. And when it happens, it is one of the best all time reveals in Doctor Who. Yeah. So we'll get to that part, but I think that Moffat kind of threw out the Cyberman spoiler. So we thought that we had it, and we were not looking for the other spoiler. Um, so it was kind of, I think, you know, this was definitely an era 2014 when, when spoilers were rife. Um, and I think that this was probably a very clever strategy. Yeah, and if you think about it, you see these skeletons, and there's the water. It's all, like, you're invited to figure it out. You know, like, they talk yeah. about the water, which this water apparently makes anything inorganic invisible and it's so funny because they never reference the water after this episode like even in the second episode the waters just forget about it like it's a it's 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 purely an invention for the reveal of the cyberman later it's, it's all a very it's... doctor who invention but i i think we have here this the second reason or the third reason maybe why the randomizer brought us here is the the little uh, special effects where we we don't see like their backs are turned to the tanks and the heads of the skeletons turn. It reminded me that was a very chameleon level special effect. Oh yeah, well, and also like, <laughs> like they're they're it's like they're turning on rock. I don't know like what they were quite thinking with the, the sound design on those episodes, but it's like there's this weird crunch as the, as the, the skulls <laughs> turn in the tank. Like, I think it would honestly have been eerier if they just it was totally silent. Like I don't know, like mm-hmm. it, it was an odd odd choice. <clears throat> Um, so we go a little bit back and forth between the Doctor and Clara in this mausoleum uh, versus uh, Danny. And so Danny is, it's really funny. I like I love how Danny tries to sort of uh, reason his way about what he's, where he is. And he talks about like, well, what, you know, I, I, I'm clearly not dead. I'm here. And 
He's like, well, yeah, it's not, you know, it's not the afterlife, but it's more like more life, you know. And he talks about you got iPads, iPads in the afterlife. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and Wi-Fi. Seb is like, we've got Steve Jobs. It's <laughs> <laughs> such a good line. It was a brilliant line. And the douchey way that he says it, it was, was just so perfect. Yeah. And I would say, uh, you know, this is only a few years after Steve Jobs died. I think this was just... Mm. Um, it was not too soon at this point. It was fine. Uh, it was it was it was a good 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 moment. Um, so, but then they they do this very dark the very dark bit uh, as uh, Seb talks to him about why he's feeling cold. So Danny's always like, "I feel so cold. Why am I cold?" Mm-hmm. Well, you know what turns out when you have quote unquote more life, you're still connected to your body, and this sort of intersects with what the doctor and Clara are learning in the real world. Um, as they uh, talk to Dr. Chang. Though we should talk a little bit about what happens a little bit before they yep. encounter Dr. Chang. Because before they encounter Dr. Chang, they meet Missy for the first time. Missy. And and speaking of covering up the spoiler, the fact that they have Missy as an acronym. Because mm. obviously Missy had p- appeared throughout this season and was just mad. Just nuts. This crazy mary poppins character and we had no idea it's it's so weird in in retrospect that nobody figured it out it wasn't a common theory that that she was the master uh we were so blinded by by the gender switch uh i'd have to say um but also just like the the fact that she'd been slowly teased by appearing in, in other episodes with characters who had died uh right. was was wonderful and then give it, giving her having her present as a robot uh and giving her an acronym w- further help muddy the, the the waters the dark water as it were um <laughs> so that you just we weren't really prepared um yeah no it's true up, so up she until comes the in... heartbeat bit uh what was the acronym again by the do you have that what did she say she was <laughs> It's like, uh, yeah. We'll we'll look it up. We'll Something. look it up. We'll come back to that. Yeah. But she has a good scene with the doctor and Clara, claiming to be a robot, uh, and giving them the welcome package, or giving uh, the yes. doctor the welcome package. Mobile of... intelligence systems interface. Oh, there it is. Yeah. So it's with an I at the end. Um, yes. Though I don't know if that's that's stuck. That was just something she made up. Um, Anyway, she gives the doctor the welcome to the package, which includes a big smooch on the lips uh, and <laughs> pushing him against the wall to do it. And, you know, you we, we know something's up here anyway, and we, we don't know it's the master yet. But in hindsight, it's such a, it's such a moment, like knowing that she's the mm-hmm. master. Uh, like, oh, yeah. You know, she's like, I'm really going to uh, enjoy this you know, in a way that... <laughs> Um, you know, it's very like, oh, you just really appreciate the uh, the layers she is stacking on this plot, and and just the fun. It is exactly, happening. exactly what you do, and it's it's so bizarre to think that this is, you know, in in universe the the same person who was in the bodies of Roger Delgado and Angelina Ainley, uh, now making out with the Doctor. Yeah, it's very very weird. Well, it sort of lets you know kind of get their head around that. I mean, you can kind of, it's hard to get your head around it, but I mean, it opens up these ideas in your head, and I think they did a good job of this in Capaldi's era, actually better than any other, of sort of the th- thinking about the, ev- the the 
the evolution of the master, right? And like, mm. why? Like, okay, yes, it is different. The behavior is different, but why? Like, they, this, they've gotten to the point where they're kind of like reflecting off each other. And you saw this a little bit even with John Sim, I think, that the master and the doctor, almost a bit like the Joker and Batman. Yeah. Um, and just constantly doing this dance. Whereas back in the Delgado era, he was seemed a little more, I mean, certainly was a little more preoccupied with power and weapons mm. and things like that. And the doctor was just kind of getting in his way. And now um, he slash she is obsessed with him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a wonderful plot, but she, she grabs his hand and puts it on, on her heart. Sir. Uh, mm-hmm. which, you know, the Doctor is clearly... And, and he could have maybe mentioned this a little earlier, there's two hearts, therefore she's a time lady. Um, you know, but he sort of... It takes a while for him to process. Um, yeah. But in the meantime, we have this wonderful line where he's, he's basically asking to talk to her supervisor. And and she says, I am maintained by the Doctor. And he says, Doctor Who? Another wonderful use of that line. And the the way that Michelle Gomez just sort of turns her head and shouts, "Doctor Chang," is <laughs> oh, it's it's if you hadn't fallen in love with Missy up until that point, that that was just such perfect comic timing. And can we talk about Michelle Gomez? I mean, you you can't oh. say enough about her and this performance. I mean, she really really throws herself into it. Um, you know, we we uh, I remember I think I said something about Gerald Flood chewing scenery as King John in King's Demons. Yeah. He has nothing, <laughs> nothing on Michelle Gomez. Michelle Gomez is he's incredible. Very, he's very understated actor compared to, but but she is, um, <laughs> she is. I mean, it's it's beyond chewing scenery. She's such, she's such a physical comedian, and mm. uh, that she did this NHS comedy in the UK. I think it was called uh, Green Green something. But she is. I because of her turn as Missy, I went back and watched her in this. And she, it's kind of a series of sketches set in a hospital. And every time she's on screen, she has this incredible energy. Uh, whether she, She's either trying to push people away for one reason or another, or she is trying to come onto them. And hmm. either way, she just throws herself physically into the performance that she's one of the most physical comedians I think I've seen in the modern era. It is just such a precise performance the way she turns her head, the way she uses her eyes. Um, and she really is. I mean, I appreciated the heck out of her at the time, but you watch this again and you're like, this cements it. This is one of the best performances in all of Doctor Who. Yeah, 100%. And uh, you could see, I think, clearly that the the crew and everyone supporting her, I think, saw that. And like everything from the lighting to her costume to her makeup, mm. the hat tilted just the right way, all of that like really adds to the performance. I mean, her eyes are so big, you know, with, mm. with the eyeshadow. Like, it's just, it's it's perfect. Um, and you really feel the chill. Like, she really does come across as mad. Yes, yes. Uh, it's, it's amazing. Okay. Um, we'll gush some more later. Uh, but uh, <laughs> they, Dr. Chang uh, comes in. They go and chat with him in an office where there's another skeleton in a tank in the middle. So there's just one there. <laughs> yes, kind of like Doctor Scar- Scarosa, yeah. which I don't think is supposed to be a, a reference to Scarrow. Uh, uh, there was another um, weird name. Yeah, there's a few of these these um, 
name nameplates on the skeletons here and there. One's like Zylo Jones, uh, mm. which you know I'm sure they all mean something, uh, and you yeah. know we'll we'll have it in the show notes. I'm sure, but they get to the Everything's office. Everything's an Easter egg. Um, they get to the office and they're chatting with Dr. Chang and the uh, simultaneously Seb is talking to Danny in the afterlife and they come up or they, they reveal why uh, this place exists ostensibly um, to, to preserve these, these bodies and tanks. And right. the three W Institute exists because right. three words were heard on a radio broadcast. Yes. And and here we, or, you know, interlacing the uh, atmospheric noise, which we'll get to later in the episode for another reason, um, was, was the signal. And and here is where, where I have to say for possibly the first and maybe the only time in all of Doctor Who, I think that this was sort of inappropriately scary for what the show is, uh, which is first and foremost a kid's show. And the fact that the three words are don't cremate me, that we're hearing the dead say, don't cremate me. I mean, how many kids would have watched that and thought, oh, well, you know, that we cremated Granny? Right, you know? right. Or they're trying to process some death in their life, and now they're terrified. Because I think I would have been, if I'd watched this age seven or something, I would have been terrified of cremation from that point on for years and would have been absolutely distraught and inconsolable if a, if a relative was cremated. So I think it may be Moffat sort of taking that thing that he did that was so successful with the Weeping Angels, you know, take an object that is commonly seen in everyday life, at least in Britain, statues of angels are kind of everywhere, um, and making it a, a scary fake. Like, that's a good scary. Right. Even though com people complained about that at the time as well, I think they were being, it was being a bit too much. I, I don't mind the idea of sort of being a kid and kind of getting a chill down your back when you walk down the street and you see an angel statue. But going for cremation, I think, is, is a step too far. Well, it's it's a difference between making an object scary and an idea scary. And yeah. when you can, you can walk away from an object, you can get it out of your sight, you can cover it up. You can't get rid of an idea in your head. And yeah. something that is so... Um, connected to you know everyday life in some some way you know like you said even if a child has processed uh, a death i mean the fact that you may have cremated someone years ago that they were mm. fine you know that obviously not actively thinking about um and bringing back some sort of idea of like oh my omg what about this and sort of get needing a lot of you know consoling and reassurance that this is just a show um, yeah, I mean, I, I haven't given this a ton of thought until now, I'll be honest with you, just because, um, like, my, my kids haven't, uh, were not old enough at the time. Um, well, I was, I was going to ask you, because I know that you, you have watched previous episodes that we've discussed with, with them. Yeah. Um, I think we discussed it in The Invisible Enemy. Yeah, my son, um, my son's seen this episode. Mm-hmm. And I haven't talked to him about that aspect. And I think it's a, bit, a little bit over his head. We haven't really talked about mm. cremation or death a lot, um, mm. generally. And luckily, there's we don't have like an urn or something uh, with right. a family member. But that is very common. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I kind of have to be with you on this, I think. Ultimately, it's, it is a, it's, a bit, it's a bit too far. Um, mm. It is tough. 
Uh, it, it it makes you, it very you real. You do get this. You get the sense that Moffat is sort of is is testing the boundaries of what he can do in the show. Like he's been in it what for for three four seasons at this point. He's he's definitely in the in the realm where he was thinking about quitting. Agreed. Uh, um, and... he's, he's testing boundaries, and he's also trying to go bigger. I think this, yeah. and I, I sort of mentioned this. I remember in my um, recap. I think thematically in this season, there's a lot of sort of big sci-fi ideas like what if the moon's an egg you know like Mm. what if like he really goes all out on scale and so taking you know putting the cremation aside for a second just the whole idea of like um the afterlife is this thing called the nether sphere that as as we find out is gallifreyan technology sliced from the matrix um and he doesn't explicitly state that, right? But it's like it that's sort of the strong implication is that that's what that's what this is. That's where afterlife ideas came from. Um and it's sort of like Doctor Who's explanation for for what happens after you die or at least for humans, right? Um, They're never quite clear about how long the nether sphere has been operating. Well, then and I think that's sort of the, left intentionally fuzzy, right? Yeah, they they clearly believe it all fuzzy. Maybe this was a one, you know, only for this plot and it could be as small scale as you want it to be whether it's like only dead people from the last few years and but the doctor does say at one point well how long has the concept for an afterlife been part of human uh civilization it's kind of like like implying that maybe everyone who ever died essentially yeah. is um is is in this nether sphere and I actually I actually looked it up like there there's actually they've done some math on like how many people in the history have have lived in the history of the world and yeah. like, like, what is the population of heaven, <laughs> and uh, or or whatever you know, wherever people go when they die? It and is, it's roughly a hundred yeah. billion people, according to five thirty eight. Interesting. I think I remember reading that because it's sort of this question of like, are there more people uh, who are living versus people who are dead? And there are uh, more more people who are dead by a factor of by a factor of ten, I guess. Yeah, for now, anyway. Um, mm. We'll see what happens as we uh, <laughs> put people well, in we, cryogenic tanks, or we indeed. have have a solution, like um, what is quickly revealed in this episode of uh, you know extending life, which is turning people into Cybermen, uh, mm. which is what we find uh, out there. Uh, what these people in the tanks are now. I did really like as much as the the sort of spoiler non spoiler moment of the Cybermen being revealed was, was sort of out there. Um, it's a good little moment where the doctor says, you know, once first he says, well, this whole thing about, you know, the afterlife or cremation, there's, this is, you know, bullocks, you know, it's like, this is, there's something else going on here. He walks out of the room, the doors close and there are those two windows that are basically in the style of teardrop eyes. Uh, That, you know. He says, "I think I'm missing something," yeah. and then the doors close, and you see the teardrop eyes, which I think I th- again goes back to the nation, the notion that Moffat wanted this spoiler in plain sight. Yeah, and I got to say, I'm I'm such a sucker for moments like that. Like I really like yeah. it's like that moment in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom where you know he's in the plane, he's like, "Nice try, Lao Shea," closes the door, says Lao Shea Air Freight. Um, uh, you know, like those kind of things where it's like, I've got this and then boom. And then there's like, there's some big visual cue that no, you don't, you really don't. Uh, the, the door reveal, I'm sure is a very specific TV trope. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
So it's a good I moment. Love TVTrope.com, by the way, is a, is a wonderful repository that I discovered through um, looking for the, the, the thing that shows up in Doctor Who a lot and actually also shows up in Death in Heaven. The conveniently timed attack from behind uh, is, is my least favorite TV trope, and it, it maddens me so much that I had to Google it. And that's how I discovered TV tropes. Um, so, yes, the, the door reveal, if it isn't there, we should probably add it to their database. Absolutely. Uh, is there an attack from behind in this one? I'm not sure. That's a good question. Well, it's, I, I was thinking the Brigadier at the very end. Oh, yep. It's, yep. All right. We'll get there. Yeah. But, yeah, the um, so the Doctor's looking around um, and runs into Missy again. And there is, uh, you know, he starts to see that the, I, I forget exactly the order of this. Basically, the, the, the tanks start to drain. We start to see that they're Cybermen. The um, Missy and Dr. Chang, uh, we realize that far from the, Dr. Chang being the boss of the android, Missy is actually the boss of Dr. Chang. And there's this almost like a slow reveal, right? I mean, it's not slow, mm. but it's like she she's there and she... Um, well, she does this delightful thing of like taunting him before she's going to kill him, uh, and delightfully evil thing, I should say. <laughs> no, I'm yeah. not. I don't think killing people is delightful. Just for the record, everyone out there. Um, but the idea that uh, you know she's like say something nice, and Doctor Chang just starts begging for her his life, uh, and she vaporizes him. It's such a great catchphrase and used to such great effect throughout these two episodes um, that I... It, it, does she ever use that again? I can't remember oh, yes. if it gets reused, but it's... Yeah. yeah. Or something like it um, anyway in the next episode. Yeah. Such a wonderful and chilling thing to say when you're about to kill someone. So she uses her vaporizer for the first time, and I gotta say, like, it, I think it is a bit of a missed opportunity. I wonder why they didn't do the tissue compression eliminator. Well, it, it looks very similar, right? Right. And in fact, I, I had to Google whether it was the tissue compression eliminator because we had just seen it in uh, in the King's Demons. Mm -hmm. um, it looked like a very similar device. And actually, if you do a Google image search for tissue compression eliminator, Missy using her device is one of the first images. So right. clearly I'm not the only person to be confused by this. But no, it is simply listed in uh, in the TARDIS wiki as Missy's device. Right, yeah. I guess, I wonder, I, I imagine it's because of sort of what goes down at the end of the next episode, maybe why they didn't use it um, mm. as as the tissue compression eliminator, just because, but I thought it was a bit, a bit of a missed opportunity in that, you know, you have all these Easter eggs. Um, well, maybe, I guess it's, it, come to think of it, now that I'm thinking about it, they didn't use it for the reveal that comes in the next scene. Because mm. if it was, if, if, if she shrank this guy, that yeah. would have been a giveaway. So now it that I think been. about it, you does couldn't it, really do it. Does it always shrink people? Because if the doctor used it on Chameleon, like we should have had a, oh, uh, but we did. a Chameleon minifig. We did. Oh, there was a minifig? There was, yep. It was huh. it was in 480i, so you might might have just looked like a little blur on the screen. But yes, there was there was a tiny <laughs> tiny chameleon doll once he once he was done. With it. Yep. Um, so okay, now that I we yeah now that clearly they couldn't use the the thing because of the reveal. Because in the next scene, um, the doctor you know walks out of the mausoleum and finds out that he's he's actually right in the middle of London at St Paul's Cathedral. Yep. Surprise. Yeah. 
Yeah. And uh, which until the next episode is revealed that it's sort of a pocket dimension kind of deal. Uh, which it kind of had to be, right? Because it's like it, it yeah. doesn't make sense. The TARDIS wouldn't really know where they are if <laughs> if just, they're yes, like the in the middle of London. They would know it. it. It was initially one of those moments of like, oh come on, Moffat. Was was my first response? Like, oh come on, this is just hiding in St Paul's. This the three W Institute in St Paul's. Nobody's noticed. Um, so I had a moment of indignation there at the yeah. time. So it's like, but yes and no, it's this... in there, but like if you went in there, you wouldn't see it, I guess, is kind of the idea. So as part of the slow reveal, we learn first, like he, he says the heartbeats, plural, so we know uh, she's a time lord, and then she says, time lady, please, I'm old-fashioned. Uh, he says, who are you? She's like, I'm, I'm the one you left behind. At this point in 2014, I was thinking Romana. I can't remember why. Um, I I might have had a brief thinking of is it River? Mm, uh, interesting. Maybe it just like I was I was so blindsided and so unspoiled that my did brain you think, was. Did you ever think maybe Jenny? Ooh, no, that would have been a good one. Yeah, um, I think yeah, I went I mean, there I, I, briefly before settling on the Ronnie. Ah uh, yes, yes, that would that was another one that I thought the Ronnie or Romana. Yeah, so the um, Ronnie was actually it was a scene that, that that was going to be the spoiler mislead if it leaked, because they actually filmed a version of the reveal with him with her saying she's the Ronnie, with another oh, acronym. Uh, interesting. I, I forget what it's supposed to be. It's like, ran. I got it. It's random access neural integrator. <laughs> nice. So that <laughs> nice bit of trivia. Though. So basically, they um, they filmed a scene with her saying that, so that if if something leaked, they could just sort of that would ostensibly be it, and then they could still have uh, the master reveal. So she re- does reveal, wow. of course, as <laughs> well. I love it. It, it the scene where the doctor runs out into the streets and starts <laughs> screaming for people to basically run, 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 run. Go go go! Like he, I love I love scenes where the doctor just comes across as absolutely nuts. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Guy? Um, Another Scotsman shouting in the streets. I didn't know there was a match on. Yeah. Oh, uh, so good. <laughs> so many good lines. So, such a perfect put down. Um, but yeah, yeah, and the, the reveal, and apparently with with the audio, they like it was I am your father levels of of hiding the spoiler here. Like having them say different dialogue at the time, even as I, I believe that it was recorded afterwards. Uh, like they re-recorded right. the audio afterwards and had them say something different on set. Yeah, they looped it in. Um, yeah, which is just brilliant. And I was hella surprised, and it made all the sense in the world. And it was great because here we have the first uh, Time Lord gender switch. Right, seen on screen. Yeah, it was it was such a great great moment. For many reasons, obviously the reveal, but for that, and um, it's it's the first confirmed one. So it, another mm-hmm. bit of trivia was that it's it's kind of been either sort of mentioned or strongly implied that doctors can, or sorry, doctors, time lords can gender switch uh, when they regenerate because the Matt Smith, I believe it actually was in the episode, um, the doctor's wife mentions a, some other time lord called the Corsair. Mm. Um, who apparently was he, he just says like when he was a woman I, some language to that effect 
that right. So that that's a Neil Gaiman special, mm-hmm. um, and but actually technically, uh, Moffat was the first. Moffat is the first writer to have shown the Doctor regenerating into a woman on the BBC. Uh, because of the curse of fatal death. Oh, wow. Yes. Which, if you don't know, was a comic relief special uh, filmed while Doctor Doctor Who was actually off the air in late 80s, early 90s. Starts off with Rowan Atkinson as the Doctor. Hugh Grant becomes the Doctor. And the very end, Joanna Lumley from Absolutely Fabulous becomes the Doctor. And this was Stephen Moffat's first time writing for the Doctor on the screen. Uh, you know, it, it shows that he clearly had his comic chops. Uh, but it's also kind of a loving recreation of the show in a lot of ways. And um, it does sort of... So, you know, he's clearly been thinking about this for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, about the, the Doctor transitioning into a woman. So, and if you think about it, there was... When, when Tennant regenerated into a Matt Smith... There's a there's a moment while he's sort of trying to figure out like what he looks like or what he's you know he's there in the TARDIS he's just regenerated he's like feeling his hair and he goes like I'm a girl <laughs> I'm like no no wait wait I'm not a girl and and it's it's, it's it's just forgotten about it a second later but I mean it is it is a thing like if you think about it like well why would he think that if that wasn't possible and I believe that was also a Moffat line because it, it tends to be the new incoming right. showrunner right. uh, who who writes the post regeneration scene at the end of the previous. Um, showrunner's turn so uh yeah so so there's a lot confirmed by this moment and i actually in addition to watching these episodes i actually found out i'd bought them on itunes at the time oh which, wow remember when we used to buy stuff on itunes and download so that things meant that, I, <laughs> that meant that i got all the extra stuff that you used to get when you bought stuff on itunes and uh among them with, with the doctor who extras that were on the bbc and, and you know in, in both of the um, special extra episodes that you get with the iTunes uh, downloads, you know, Moffat is seen defending this choice. Like, we've been hinting throughout uh, my run on Doctor Who that, that, that Time Lords can change gender. Mm-hmm. Um, so there may be more. Well, and I gotta say, I feel not. like the, you know, and I don't want to get too into this uh, sort of fandom commentary, I do think Moffat mm. took a lot of heat for various things. One of the things I think he was sort of a bit unfairly took heat for was was sort of not choosing a woman earlier and because i feel like this idea like this sort of transitional idea of like okay get people used to the idea and show it with maybe another character before doing the main character i think is the correct the correct way to do it right you know it's like um you you kind of want slow build up yeah and then sort of people who might be resistant to the idea some of them anyway will be a little more persuadable when you when you get there and and we do it does sort of build up to the uh, finale of the next season in Hellbent where we actually see a time lord uh, yes. changing gender during a regeneration yes and revealing that you don't get regeneration sickness it's just man flu <laughs> uh, which i think is such a wonderful line such a wonderful conceit yes um love that part but yeah so so it is missy she she manages to dissuade the crowd from running away and um, and the Cybermen are just treated as an opportunity for a selfie. That's right. They they emerge from the cathedral, poised to conquer, and then suddenly everyone's like, "Oh yeah, let's get some shots with these guys." Now, it's a cute it's a cute moment. 
and I like it, and, and it is kind of exactly what would happen, you know, and especially in an urban area, like you know, it's it's basically like Times Square and the 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 naked cowboy, right? Like it's that's yeah. <laughs> perfect analogy. Yes, uh, you know, they're like you know, put a few put a put a hat to their feet as as Missy does, and um, get get money for selfies. I love it. It's perfect. Uh, it does also bring up the issue of. Have, have we been officially told that the people of Earth have, have had their memory wiped of previous incursions by the side? Right. I, I mean, we haven't, but this is, let's stop and talk about it. Because this is this is the <laughs> thing that repeatedly bothers, might be a bit of a strong word, because you kind of have to go with it. Uh, but I will say bothers. This repeatedly bothers me about um, Moffat's era, in that he was so hands-off with continuity. And I'm not defending, like, being a slave to continuity but the idea that nothing matters you know like who cares i'm going to completely ignore everything i did in the last time i encountered this species or this storyline and just do something that i like um i think that's a bit misguided i think you know certainly we should always be more concerned with telling good stories than being slave to continuity but it has to matter um and mm. i think you know you can you can certainly in your head canon um, throw in whatever explanation you want. I think the most obvious one is the cracks in time, um, which yeah. so if there's a which which did kind of a reset on Earth and its relationship with with uh, aliens and alien invasions. So no one remembers the Daleks. Presumably, if no one remembered the Daleks invading in Journey's End, um, no one's going to remember the Cybermen uh, from Doomsday. So okay, yeah. fair enough. Um, but it is a bit like. I, I want the line in there at least, you know, because like you you have to sort of assume well, we do. If you've if you've been watching Doctor Who even a little bit, you've kind of been knowing that there's. Wait a minute! Like how? Why are? Why? Why is this? Why are they being so casual about it? They're, they're, you should at least get a little bit of, uh, of of acknowledgement of it. So we do almost immediately in the in the scene in the morgue, uh, where Danny Pink comes to life as a Cyberman, right? Um, from the water on the floor, there is uh, the guy in the morgue is watching the TV, and the TV does does say something about how it, it makes some reference to previous appearances of the Cybermen, right? But not like a hey, the whole planet knows about this, but it's sort of like you know, the the government is aware we're being told not to panic, like we've seen previous versions of the Cybermen, which also uh, you know brings us back to the reappearance of Eunice mm -hmm. and Osgood. And Kate Stewart, and Kate Stewart throwing a an old series Cyberman head at the feet. Yeah, which oh, which kind of messes up a little bit. Like again, not to be the continuity <laughs> police, but I mean that's <laughs> I do have my badge out, and it's it's nice and polished. Um, you know, if you're going to say that okay, some invasions happened and some didn't, you know, I mean, if you think about it, like the Cybermen are probably should be one of the most well known <laughs> aliens to the people of Earth. I mean, they've invaded in. Uh, Mondas in 1986, there was the invasion, there was Doomsday, uh, there's this, uh, there's probably a bunch I'm not even thinking of. Um, you know, it's like, okay, fair enough. And, and, uh, I'll tell you what my headcanon is going to be. I've, I've decided it. Uh, Units has um, got a version of the, the Black Archive um, memory wiping ray, and they, <laughs> they've gone global with it. They, they just every time there's an alien incursion, unit wheels out the massive memory wiping ray 
uh, over the entire planet and we just all forget. I would love uh, to so, see a yeah, story that's, that's... that actually explains that, but also does something with it and sort of would answer like yeah. the why question of why they were doing that, you know, where it's you know, some kind of control thing or whatever. Um, that would be amazing. Uh, please, someone write that. But but the the Easter eggs, and there's just classic Moffat, like stuffing every scene with Easter eggs, you know, the old school Cybermen head just to make us old fans go squee. And um, and Osgood wearing a bow tie, right? Uh, just as she wore the the Fourth Doctor's scarf in her previous outing in Day of the Doctor, uh, and I love the idea that she's like cast her her Tom Baker love aside once she meets Matt Smith, and she's like, "Oh no, I'm a Matt Smith stand now. Uh, I'm going to wear bow ties." <laughs> well, bow this ties is the cool. thing. I got to say, you're, you're nailing why I don't really like Osgood, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on her, but. I mean, Osgood as a, like, you know, she's obviously, that's breaking the fourth wall a bit. She's a fan of Doctor Who, who's in Doctor Who, um, and sort of, I feel like that sort of fan service to that level, while it's, like, inevitable they did something like this in the long run of Doctor Who, I, I'm not really a fan. What do you think? I I like Osgood. I, I hold a candle for Osgood. I was so so sad in death and heaven when she gets killed yeah they really kill her yeah <laughs> like that they super kill her <laughs> and the, <laughs> the actress of course comes back as we as we know you know she, she'll then yeah. win the zygon invasion zygon inversion but um that is the death in this episode that i thought was actually not going to be like a comic book death and, it, and technically it isn't yeah. i mean it's not like the actual person slash character there comes back that they're vaporized uh, yeah. in, in the most delightful I, way possible again. I mean, she is, again, Missy is so good at taunting her, and it's even, it's it's Dr. Chang again, but ten times worse, ten times the anguish. Uh, you know she's going to do it. Um, the countdown. Mm. The I'm going to kill you in a minute. Would it help if I did a countdown? Holy crap, that was that was chilling. Yeah. And it was yet another moment in these episodes where I'm like, is this appropriate for kids? My goodness, that's like, this is movie level scary death. Well, it's also um, movie level incompetent because... unit guards, I'll say, <laughs> who just kind of stand <laughs> yeah, there, right, let her talk, there. and then ostensibly I, she doesn't do anything magical other than sort of like take off the the handcuffs, and yeah, just suddenly she appears right beside Osgood. Like, how did that happen? Like, and again, I think they need a little need a little more. Uh, Moffat, this is Moffat. My biggest problem with Moffat, he just does stuff. Because it seems cool, and he doesn't do enough of the work, and sometimes it's a lot, and sometimes it's a little, to earn it in the story. Yeah. And I'm I I tend to blow the whistle on this. Like you didn't explain how she did that. There are two guards right behind her. Suddenly she like at least say what she did, you know, like which is maybe you could make up anything, right? Like she's the master. She could be use some kind of hypnotic ray and like have her you know, hold up a mirror, look in a mirror that's on the wall yeah. and sort of hypnotizing the guards behind her. Like, but do it, earn it. Um, in this yeah, episode, in I'm kind of, of ranting now, but in this episode, it's light. It's not so bad. And the things, the strokes he's doing, I, I like. So he, I'm, I'm not as, I don't have as a problem with it as much in this episode as I do in other episodes in the Moffat era, era but it is a huge, huge problem for Moffat. I... I was actually more anti-Moffat in this episode than I think you were, uh, certainly at the time. Uh, uh, that notion that I've always had with him, that he has amazing ideas, 
that w should have been a whole episode in themselves and would have been in the old show. Um, and, and he just kind of jams them in together, not giving them their due. And one of them happens here where Kate Stewart reveals that the Doctor has, through emergency protocols, been made the president of Earth. Now, oh, so talk yeah. about not earning something. <laughs> right? That's, that's the ultimate example. Like, oh, we're, we're just going to throw this in because uh, because you want to have a few cute lines and you want to have uh, Missy later saying happy birthday, Mr. President, Marilyn Monroe style. Right. Uh, like, I see why you did it. I see why it was irresistible. But you're right. Freaking earn it. Totally. Um, I thought that one was kind of delightful in a way that uh, didn't bother me as much as some of these little things that nag at me. Because that one was like, it's almost about time, right? Like, you're kind of like, okay, every time there's been an invasion, <laughs> the doctor has come and solved it. He's clearly the guy with the answers, the guy we should listen to, um, the guy that should have this authority. The Earth eventually comes to its senses and just gives him that is very satisfying. But it is it is very glossed over. You kind of I, I felt very similar in that like I would have loved to see the uh, the UN debate <laughs> about that. I would have I would have watched hours just of that. Have, uh, I would watch the crap out of that. If just a whole episode on the background of how they got everyone in the world, including the United States security apparatus, to agree that the Doctor is somehow president of the earth yeah. if there's an alien incursion um he he does he gets in a dig at americans that i can't quite remember what it is when he thinks well like, the president's, oh, the, the president's on board someone on board. says and it's not not to the doctor someone just mentions the president's on yeah. board the plane that they they usher him to and so he goes um oh you know i don't forget i don't think he says i hate americans or why why do we need to have americans here it's they get in the way or something it's it's something like they'll they'll just blow stuff up. Right. Um, it's some dig at, at Americans in general, which I think uh, okay, I get the doctors against soldiers, and the Americans are very militaristic nation, but it was just yeah. Well, I'm also like you know, two episodes I, after we were just saying hi to Perry. I'm a little like, come on, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you like Americans, remember? Yeah. Or do you just like British people pretending to be Americans? I guess that was a phase. <laughs> Uh, but we're jumping around a bit, and that's okay. Uh, but uh, what I, one thing I wanted to... Uh, you, you kissed an American doctor in San Francisco, dude. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah, um, just a few generations ago. One thing I wanted to be sure we didn't forget, I really liked, and I, I think this really emphasizes sort of the fun they're having, uh, was when Clara tries to do her mislead with the Cybermen by saying she's the doctor. She does this pre-title sequence, and then as soon as she says, I'm yes. the doctor, they, the credits roll... And Jenna Coleman is listed first, and it's her <laughs> eyes instead of Peter Capaldi's that appear uh, in the credits. And I really like that they did that just kind of as a one-off, and and you know just just for fun, really. It's like, yeah, she said she's the doctor. Let's let's like we're, we've been misleading people back and forth. Let's see if we can fool them for a few uh, seconds here. I was again. We've we've dropped on either side of the Moffat's being too much line. Uh, because I really thought that this was just a step too far, unearned. Um, I, I, I can, I can appreciate it more now. Watching it again, I've made my peace with it now. Uh, I, I liked it the second time around, but I thought like so much stuff going on. We're trying to process the Missy thing. We're trying to keep a handle on the Cybermen thing. 
a lot of stuff is going to go down on this episode and you're jamming this in as well it just it, it broke my brain a little bit and and now i think it's in a good way but yeah, um, I, I was definitely in a yeah, good way. It, uh, I thought it was fun. I thought it was okay. Uh, but it's it is like I can see why you would you would react that way, you know, at the time. Like, it's like you you don't reference the Impossible Girl thing for an entire season, and now you tell us she's the Doctor. Oh, yeah, I was yeah, it's throwing it a lot, and because it is just this silly thing they did to because it's just this mislead that she's trying to give the Cybermen at the beginning, and it, nothing more comes of it than that um it is it is like okay yeah it was it was all clearly just just a fun times kind of thing they were doing i i can now step back and realize that moffat was especially trying to make fans heads explode because they're trying to process the fact that you know time laws can gender, gender switch and regeneration and for a lot of old school fans that that blew their minds they didn't agree with it blah 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 and he's like right you think that's bad <laughs> how about this you know take this clara's actually a future regeneration of the doctor ha huh? <laughs> um, <laughs> or maybe it's something with her mixed into his her, his timeline, like she's become inextricably linked, and and she is now actually the Ur Doctor in some way. Well, like you know, Chris he, Chibnall so, has some time, as, so <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, maybe who knows? Maybe she's one of the timeless children. Who knows, right? As well, yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, so I can, I can appreciate the trolling, top level A plus trolling. Yeah, from, it is. It is a troll. There. I'll admit. Yeah, it's definitely a troll. That's 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 the right word here. <laughs> uh, but again, sometimes you can't help but laugh, and sometimes even respect the trolls. Um, okay. Yep. So the Cybermen, getting back to them, this is like you know, every, I feel like every now and then in this episode they have to remind you. Oh, by the way, this is a Cybermen episode. <laughs> and, <laughs> They kind of like like they do things the Cybermen have never done. They work in ways the Cybermen don't really work in any other episode. They kind of get a pass because this is like Gallifreyan technology and the Master's involved. So you can kind of do it. Um, again, as, as the continuity cop, I wish they'd sort of made that a little more explicit. But um, it is, I think, all worth it because you get this great imagery uh, which never really quite delivers on in terms of story, but the imagery of the Cybermen emerging from graves and mm. this this mix of Cybermen and zombie uh, genres, which they've touched on before and certainly the, the connection is very apt. Uh, it's played to the hilt in this episode and you know, I, I loved every minute of it of those of the imagery of of Cybermen emerging from literal tombs and little literal graves, mm. and kind of uh, you know just really kind of this eerie, gross kind of like oh wow, you know this is for, happening. For me, for me, I really flashed back to um, there was a student film that was shown on the BBC uh, dur during its kids programming um, when I was very young that had a, a hand emerging from a grave that terrified the crap out of me. Mm. You know, speaking of the, the whole sort of, um, you know, curse of fatal death kind of theme of these two episodes. It would have been a, a good alternate title, by the way, curse of fatal death <laughs> uh, is really what's going on here. Um, but it just, it reminded me that because, you know, I as a kid was terrified and carried that around in my head for years, that image of a hand emer emerging from the grave that these two episodes would have just destroyed me as a child. Mm. So, 
It's yet another example of that. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Um, I, I, when I saw this the first time, the imagery of the Cybermen crawling out of graves from rain made me think mm. a lot about the movie The Return of the Living Dead. And I don't know if you've ever heard of that one. It's sort of an 80s addition to the zombie genre. Right. And it, it, it is exactly that plot. You know, it's basically, um, <laughs> it, it talks about how zombies are actually real and that they were put in a, you know, uh, these these toxic waste drums. And uh, what happens is that they burn this body that can't be killed. It goes, you know, the, bird, the, the cloud goes over a grave, a graveyard <laughs> starts to rain uh. and all the um you know pollen i guess from the from the zombie uh pours on the grave sites and then all the dead in the graveyard rise um so it's like it's, oh. it's like stealing exactly that the plot from the return of the living I dead i had no idea it was so stolen yeah shame on you stephen muffin no it's 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 clearly he and i had the same taste in movies in the 80s uh although <laughs> i think i didn't see it technically till the 90s but you know um so, I, I guess great artists steal so so no shame yeah so i'm i'm and great artists who think alike and steal alike are equally great so i'm <laughs> as, just as great as stephen moffat uh everyone heard it here first <laughs> there you go um <laughs> But yeah, I, I found all that imagery really cool. My, I, as I sort of mentioned earlier, I, I don't think they really deliver on it. You know what I mean? Like the Cybermen all emerge and then they don't really do anything. Like they, they, they just hang out. Yeah, they just kind of stand it around in graveyards and there's no sort of moment uh, of triumph. Not that it necessarily needs it, but I mean, I often talk about Doomsday, the, the other sort of cyber invasion that of the modern era that... Um, has similar imagery, although the Cybermen do kind of conquer the world in that one, in a sense. I mean, they don't fully do it, but I mean, I always talk about how Doomsday ruins Cybermen for me because they'll never be that triumphant again. Like they just kind of True. appear on the planet, a modern day Earth, and they've they've effectively conquered it. Um, and here they come close, uh, but they never get, they never really leave the graveyards. You know, they they kind of stand around, and uh, then Cyber Danny events up commanding them and and they end up sort of destroying themselves to, to save save the rest of the planet um, the fact that they are just hanging around does fit with with what turns out to be missy's plan which is that this is a an army she's custom built for for the doctor's birthday mm. uh, <laughs> we never know if it's actually his birthday but i my in my head canon it absolutely is and this is you know a total reveal that Happy birthday, Doctor. Yeah. I got you a Cyberman army. Um, <laughs> Which is, is, is great. It's a great moment. I actually like how that turns out. Um, before yeah. that, it doesn't quite jibe with what happens on the plane. Or maybe it does. I'd like to get mm. your opinion on this. So when they're on the plane, Osgood is vaporized in that very cruel way. Um, the Master takes down the, the jet. It sort of blows up. And we have this beautiful moment with actually the Missy, Missy and Seb. <laughs> yes. believe it or not where the doctor is basically uh chasing mid-flight as they both descend his tardis and gets there and seb is so like into it he he I, he what's says line? what does he say permission to squee <laughs> it's it's a... at which point missy vaporizes him yes and it's such a perfect comic moment that uh i i think we're we're going to take that audio and, and probably insert it right here. A mission to squeeze! 
And uh, what it doesn't <laughs> jive with me, though, is that Missy kind of looks at it and is like, oh, that's boring. He's just going to die by falling, yeah. you know? Lame. Uh, uh, you're, you're a Doctor fanboy. Destroyed. Yeah. So, but I also think, like, is is her plot? I mean, obviously her plot is not to kill him because she wants to give him the stuff. But she doesn't seem that mm. that down about it. I mean, she's a little bit down. Like, oh, well, whatever. But I guess, like, ultimately she wants him to either be dead or, I guess, in debt to her or realize that, like, as she says at the end, uh, that we're actually the same, which seems to be a, a common theme among villains, which is... Um, not not bad. It's just I don't even consider it a trope. Really, it's just that villains often want to see themselves as the good guy, and they do that a lot by like pointing at the good guy and then pointing out how they're so similar, even though they are like total opposites. Um, well, th- this does this does bring us to a new segment in Pull to Open, which is what if the evil plot had succeeded? Right. Uh, each episode, we will take a look at. The, the plan by the dastardly villain in whichever Doctor Who story we're talking about and look at kind of, I guess, a, a turn left kind of situation. What if the Doctor hadn't been there? What if this plan had succeeded? Uh, in this case, obviously, the plan required the Doctor to, to succeed, but it was to to turn the Doctor into a an intergalactic military genius, right? right. A, a, a Julius Caesar of the stars with an ever-expanding army of the dead um, made up of Cybermen that he can control and, and bend to his will and do all the good that he wants to do, but do it in this Machiavellian military way. Um, yeah, it's hard to, hard to picture why... the success here, right? Because like, like, it sort of depends on the Doctor accepting the gift. And yeah. I'm not sure if that also requires the sort of final phase of the plan, which is the the rain to descend on the living and turn the living into Cybermen. Either way, it's a diamond of Cybermen. One's just sort of bigger than the other. Um, I, I think, so So this is sort of, this would be, if it had succeeded, it'd be like a good man goes to war writ large. Right. Um, because Moffat had had this tendency of making making the Doctor in in the last Matt, you know few Matt Smith seasons, kind of he became this increasingly a uh, big player on the on the uh on the space stage mm-hmm. in the space-time right? continuum playing... exactly like you know he's kind of elevated to a god you know uh, more people have heard of him and the you know the name the question doctor who is shouted throughout the universe and all of this stuff and i think maybe this whole season eight was was an attempt to counteract that and bring it down that's why we have this whole the doctor hates soldiers now Right. It is. It I mean, seems to be specifically refuting that aspect of the Doctor that he spent so long building up with Matt Smith. Right, and in his his um, you know virulent opposition to to Danny and calling him PE and the hmm. all of that. Uh, yeah, it's it's not it's not too extreme. I mean, there's even a moment at the end, um, which is almost not quite an Easter egg, but or even a cameo, but it is like the. The implication, obviously, is that one of the Cybermen is the Brigadier, and it mm-hmm. vapor- vaporizes Missy. Um, he's still saluting him, uh, maybe more out of nostalgia than anything. But yeah, I mean, I, um, I, I feel like... Which, which is set up, I, I hadn't realized that was set up on the plane the first time I watched it, where uh, Kate Stewart said, all, all my dad wanted was for you to salute him. Right, and they had the painting um, of, of him there. Yeah. 
Um, and again, and this got me. He, well, he should have asked. It's always got me to sort of nitpick a bit on the whole Cyberman thing, where it's like, you know, if you're going to like create a Cyberman out of a living person, you know, and, and the way they normally do, uh, I'm buying that. Uh, someone recently dead, mm. okay, maybe with some of this stuff, I can buy that. Uh, one of this, some of this Gallifreyan stuff. But if you're talking about someone who has been in the grave for you know decades, maybe at this point or even centuries on some of these graves and you're putting cyber pollen in there and turning that into a workable being. I'm just a little like, I don't know, man, like Mm. (laughs) that doesn't quite work for me. But anyway, I digress. But I do like the idea of this and and I'm building it into my head kind of now, this alternate timeline where the doctor says, yes, yes. he, He doesn't, he doesn't have the revelation that he's an idiot in a box, but somehow he's he's i don't know i don't know what it would take for this for the doctor to actually do this uh but certainly kind of a time war uncertainty uncertainty about himself yeah the time war would do it uncertainty about himself post-regeneration missy definitely chose her moment there um the fact that she we didn't mention on the plane the reveal that she was behind putting the doctor and clara together in the first place oh yes um, right way back in the bells of saint john's um and which means that Missy is the master is technically responsible for for the whole impossible girl thing and for Clara defending his entire timeline and did did she know that and it, you know like it just you, your head can can spin off into a hundred directions here but I love the idea of the alternate universe where the Doctor becomes a great military leader who almost like a god emperor of Dune kind of kind of deal. Yeah, he just like we don't even recognize him anymore. He does ascend to godhood. He becomes uh, a righteous, the sort of righteous version of Davros, or something or other. Where Davros is always trying to make the Daleks like this. Well, in his mind, the ultimate peace in the universe. Um, Which is why, which is why I am prepared to name this the Master's best plot ever. Uh, (laughs) Really, the the ones that we've encountered so far. yeah, I mean, I'm I'm hard pressed to think of anything else. Well, I mean, the, the um, everything in Last of the Time Lords, I, I I really did like that version because it, actually that's a that's an episode where we actually don't have to imagine what happens yeah. when the villain wins because they actually show you. Yeah, which I what what's what really to me is like the best thing about that whole episode um, in that you the master finally wins and we see what that yeah. looks like. Um, you may be right. I, I have other issues with the episode, but yeah, I, I think that's definitely up there. That might be my, my second favorite. But this is, um, yeah, maybe because I, of the head cannon I'm building now, this is becoming my favorite. Yeah, I think your imagination's better than mine. <laughs> I would consider like because I didn't I didn't go too far down the path of like what if the doctor said yes. It just seemed so not characteristic of him. Like I felt like, and I also felt like this is why I don't think it's the old best climax ever because. Mm. all he has to do is essentially say no and not use the thing the yeah. master gave him and he wins. And that's essentially what he does. And he you know, gives the wristband command unit to Danny as a Cyberman. Uh, Danny makes the ultimate sacrifice with all the Cybermen to incinerate the clouds and we're done. And so all he had, like, it was just like, oh, okay, well, that's to, to your point. I do. I don't think it's bad. I just think as a story goes, why didn't Missy have like a backup plan of some kind? It's it's almost like in mm. if in the Dark Knight, 
the Joker, when his plan doesn't go ra- right, he's like, oh, okay, well, I'll just blow him up anyway, right? Like, like he's, he's got that backup. Like, he's like, okay, fine, didn't work. I'm just going to be still be the chaos agent. She doesn't, she doesn't quite have that. You know, she's not, either she's not quite smart enough, which I don't believe, or just, it's more this villain trope, I guess, of like, what? The hero did the thing I didn't expect? You know what it makes me think of is um, Samwise the Great, which is a thing that is not in Lord of the Rings, I believe, and it's not in the movies of Lord of the Rings. But when I, I did a story imaginable about reading Lord of the Rings in one day, um, so I researched the heck out of it first and discovered that there is a scene in the animated version of, of Lord of the Rings where Samwise Ganji takes the ring. Oh. When, when he is most tempted to do so, I think by, by Gollum, um, and has this sort of little fantasy moment of Samwise the Great. And maybe this is sort of based on a line or two that Tolkien wrote of like, what would happen if Sam had taken the ring? Mm-hmm. Um, and it is like he is just as affected as as anyone. You know, it is it is the problem with the one true ring. You know, it gives you this craving for power. So you see this character who is supposed to be just sort of good and loyal and true, uh, and noble and humble, become this all powerful Samwise the Great. And uh, and I found that super chilling, even in his animation. So I think I'm maybe transposing that onto the the Doctor situation here, like just. If 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 Moffat had let this breathe a bit more, if Dark Water and Death in Heaven were four episodes instead of two, maybe we would have had that sort of you know fantasy moment of seeing that played out. What would uh, the the Doctor as the you know galaxy's greatest military leader look like? I I, um, I agree with you there. If this had been a longer drawn out thing, perhaps either four episodes or all season long, and if you throw in this greater crisis where this army is really needed like a time war level thing and mm. you know you have the decision the doctor makes you know a few minutes earlier with regard to Danny right because Danny is like oh the emotional inhibitor isn't working I'm going to switch it on to end my pain and the doctor's like no 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 that's who you are and then two seconds later they realize oh the only way to find the Cyberman's plan is to turn it on. And so then he's like, ah, well, I guess we got to turn it on, you know, like, and, and he's, he's prepared to make he that terrible choice. The, yeah. He proves the doctor's hypocrisy in a way that I think is, is absolutely devastating. And it's more it's, so on yes. the second viewing. Yeah, I agree. And I think that, um, that as a dilemma for the doctor was much, much better, you know, like, hmm. um, and well, better handled. And I would have loved to see that sort of more, uh, perhaps applied to the choice of like, do I take the army or not? Because you have to stop some greater evil. Um, yeah. That would have made it actually interesting. Yeah. Missy was just unlucky that there didn't have to be a, a time war going on or something <laughs> the doctor really needed to solve. So, because we know he is uh, pragmatic to the point of being a hypocrite. Danny had just proved that. Indeed. So, yeah. And so interesting. he does, there's there's a lot of great moments. And Missy, again, Michelle Gomez, amazing in these last few moments. Like when, from the moment she sort of floats in, literally Mary Poppins style, to the graveyard, yeah. um, all the repartee with the doctor. Um, and it culminates in Clara sort of really railing into the doctor, like, look, she she needs to die. I mean, and the fact is, and she kind of, you know, I actually thought of Plamented Fire as she said this, because we watched it so recently. Like, if you yeah. 
have ever let this person live, everything that happened today is on you. And it's funny that we watch Planet of Fire, very harsh, and and it's funny that we watch Planet of Fire where he didn't (laughs) do that, but he has so many times. Um, Certainly in the third Doctor era and, and... and even in with John Sim and, and other incarnations. So what a, yeah. Wow. I could like to like, that's uh, to me like that really, like even though the, the, the choice thing, I wasn't quite buying that, that really, I, I love that ending where that's the big, what if, yeah. yeah. Would he have actually done it? Yeah, exactly. Um, Cause he spared but, the know. choice, which is, a, you know, you kind of see it coming and maybe don't, but I mean, there's the, the, the Cyberman, who's the Brigadier, ends up vaporizing her, of course. She's not really The conveniently or... timed attack from behind, yeah. Yeah, yeah she's not vaporized, and, and this is where we've discussed it before. Uh, Moffat says in, in these extras uh, on, on iTunes, uh, he says, you know, in the Davidson era, he specifically calls out the Davidson era for this, that the Master would always just say some variation on, I've returned. Yeah, which uh, I, I, you know, and that was the whole of the explanation. Um, and he was just unkillable. And he was like, yeah, I accept that supervillains are unkillable. So he's kind of tipping his hand that Missy will return. Of course. And he's, he's not really being entirely fair to the Davidson era. And honestly, he's not being entirely fair to himself because um, not that mm-hmm. we, this is, has to do with much with this story. He does actually give a pretty thorough and good explanation for why she does come back or how she came back. From such a seemingly sort of vaporized death, much better than anything we got in uh, the Mark of the Rani after after Planet of Fire. So I'm going to give him credit for that. Um, but it is, uh, you know, yeah, you kind of when rob the we, little we, drama we do, here and there we do every learn, time you do it. Go ahead. We do learn when she comes back in in Magician's Apprentice that uh, that she was she sort of teleported out there. Is that is that what happened? What it is, and but because it's not. At the same time, well, well, we'll get to it when we get to it, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> 500 episodes down the line when we finally made it to Magician's Apprentice. Yeah, I mean, what it is. Or <laughs> well, maybe the randomizer will take us there right now. Yeah. We don't know. Yeah. It's it, the exciting thing. Exactly. It could be. It could be the next one. Uh, but there is a way. There is a way to do it. Uh, that kind of mm. makes sense, and it's enough. I think it's enough for most fans. Um, but yeah, the the things end. Uh, so she's seemingly vaporized. Um, we have Danny, who is we haven't even mentioned, has been struggling in the afterlife with what some of the things he's done in in real life. Uh, in mm. uh, someone he had killed as a soldier, accidentally a civilian child. Um, again, you feel like that that should be more powerful than it is, but there's so much powerful stuff in this stuff from the, from yeah. the characters we care about. Like obviously, this is you know. I think he struggles with, but it's you know no one we we never really saw this kid. We don't really know him. It's it's a it's more of a plot uh, character uh, thing than than anything that has to do with the story. But he comes back because you can bring at least one person back <laughs> from this afterlife apparently, yeah. uh, and he chose the kid the kid over himself, which is his final act of selflessness. And I think you're absolutely right. If if this had more room to breathe, if Moffat wasn't so Moffaty about jamming stuff in, uh, it would have been very effective and powerful. And instead, we're just like, oh yeah, the kid. The kid was a thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's unfortunate. And then uh, the Doctor and Clara then meet up a little later because the do- the Master has, among all the other reveals, revealed that she knows where Gallifrey is. She said it was where it's mm. always been. The coordinates that we've heard ever since i think the 
Tom Baker era, which yes. is ten constellation of Castabras. Yeah, ten zero eleven zero zero by zero two from Galactic Center. Okay, I got to stop here and get. <laughs> we're we're getting on to two hours here or something, but like I got to stop on these coordinates, just because one I have to say. This was actually the name of the first Doctor Who club I ever joined, <laughs> which was <laughs> in Edmonton, Alberta. Uh, and there was a local Doctor Who club, and they called themselves the 10-0-11-0-0 by 2 club, uh, which was kind of oh, hilarious. So and there's the reason they did that nerdy. was because those were just numbers, and they thought it wasn't something that anyone would come after them for copyright or trademark violation. Uh, <laughs> it's a true story. And or that maybe some passing Gallifreyan would would come by and uh, congratulate them, right? And or like show up at the club and show up at the club with a with a real license plate uh, that had it on it. <laughs> so the other thing I got to just bring up these coordinates. What is with these coordinates? What is with the zero two? And is that is that does that mean the final bit isn't binary, or does it mean? that Gallifrey is so weird and out of whack that even with binary coordinates, they needed a two <laughs> to say where it was because zero or one didn't work. And then right out of nowhere, a two. Yeah. Uh, just just take a left. Just get to that, those binary coordinates and then take a left uh, down a dirt road. You'll find it. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, I had to get that off my chest because I've never like, has anyone ever addressed that? I don't know. I think they're supposed to be binary. There's a two in there. Twos aren't binary. Okay. I had to get that off. But anyway, he goes there. The doctor goes there. And of course, Gallifrey isn't there. She lied. Um, So, okay. But then, and he lies in turn to Clara about finding it. And she lies to him about Danny being back, which he isn't. And so off they go. Um, And it can't end that way, according to Santa. Yes, and they, I'm I'm going to put it in my head, kind of that the the doctor being so frustrated and and punching the console, basically abusing his wife, the TARDIS. Um, I, I'm going to say that that actually happened within the Santa Claus dream, uh, the the dream crab, yeah, uh, situation. I'm, I'm going to just, I, you know, it's too uncomfortable for me to see the doctor beat up the TARDIS, so I'm going to project that forward. I hear you. Think of it this way. What if what if the doctor was a championship boxer and <laughs> the TARDIS is just putting on some pads and they're going to the gym and it's like hammer away my yeah. love I know you need to get this I out know you're hammer away it's okay yeah. maybe we could think of it that way although you'd think you might put like a padding or something over the console yeah <laughs> right yeah so, yeah, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm yeah. trying to kind of bend it over backwards to defend it. Uh, I don't know. But it, but again, this whole lie upon lie, like the fact that he's lying and then and uh, Missy, he's lying and saying that Missy wasn't lying, but he is lying to Clara and Clara is lying to him. It's just, it it's so, it's too many layers when we've already been through so much. We're trying to process so much. So again, another another Moffaty situation. It is. Uh, but then they do at least finally um, have a proper hug. They do, uh, which is nice. Yeah. So, which, which, in um, it's long awaited, <laughs> and it mm-hmm. it ends the episode on a very good note, uh, contrasting with the hard edge at the beginning, and really, um, at this point, I'm sure it's they probably had it in their minds that they needed to soften things up a bit and change up uh, how Capaldi was doing things, uh, and so I think that mm-hmm. nicely leads into the next season. 
Yeah, and it, it, we, we were also, everyone was thinking at this point, including on the show, that uh, Clara was about to leave. Right. Um, That's actually, let's talk about that. Which was the which is the original plan for the next episode last Christmas, was that, that she would leave at the end of it. Yeah, yeah. She was supposed to leave even last Christmas. Uh, she doesn't. There's two versions of it. I heard she might have even been like, they, they were thinking about even before last Christmas was written, possibly this being her last episode. Um, mm. But in any case, it, yeah. she was supposed to sort of originally leave at the end of this season, beginning of the next, and uh, she did not. She stayed for a whole other season, um, which again is okay. Yeah. There was a last last minute decision. We still don't know why, uh, but it was it was definitely Jenna Coleman um, deciding that she just wanted to give the, the show another another season. So. Uh, that's that's how we got season nine being the way it was um but yeah it's it's a it's a nice way to leave it i was not i was not on board with the santa claus reveal at the end uh and uh too, too this silly is interesting actually so uh, it, too, a little too silly i'm remembering now that i did the recap for last christmas so right. we, we handed off mashable recaps between these episodes <laughs> Right, and, and I, I did uh, a couple more previews, but I don't know if I did another recap after this. Yeah, yeah. my my last Christmas recap was one one of the favorite one of my favorite Doctor Who things that that I've written. Uh, I really got into it, and I got I pulled in a lot of strands. Um, but it started off with me saying, that, "Yeah, I was definitely fooled by the whole Santa Claus thing. I thought that we were just sort of scraping the bottom of the Christmas barrel." And this is going to really be a really super stupid episode. You know, we, we saw the clips with the elves. Um, and I was really prepared for it to be so dumb. And then Last Christmas turns out to be one of my favorite, if not my favorite, Capaldi episodes. Probably second favorite after Heaven Sent. Yeah, hard agree. Uh, we talked a bit about the Christmas episodes really, really briefly, each of them, in the first episode yeah. of this podcast. Um, we did. But... Uh, yes, I think I think last Christmas is is I'd, I'd be hard pressed to sort of think of one that I I draw more satisfaction from watching, mm. uh, and it's such a such a good mix of genres. But um, ultimately, you know, this two parter I think uh, might be the, the 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 best season finale of the Capaldi era. Um, yeah, and. I don't know. I, I certainly enjoyed it at the time. I enjoyed it more this time because I could chill out about the stuff I didn't really like. I was able to really enjoy, sink my teeth into uh, Michelle Gomez's performance, um, mm. uh, a lot of the cyber imagery and the the zombies, and uh, like the, the just the overall the dramatic choices that do work. I think work really really well. Um, this one this one is is a very you know hard thumbs up for me. It's a, it's a Dalek. Yeah. It's when, not when just a main... Dalek. It's a special weapons Dalek, my friend. That is what this is. <laughs> uh, it's definitely a Dalek, not an Argon for me as well. I think that when when your main complaint is, oh, God, I wish they'd made it twice as long. Right. Uh, <laughs> then, <laughs> then you know it's doing well. So even though Moffat just sort of burns some of some really brilliant ideas, in, in throwaway setups. Um, yeah, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it so much more the second time around, um, even though I think the, the curse of fatal death aspect went a little too far. Yeah, um, they definitely pulled back from having big takeaways about life and death. Um, <laughs> actually, you know what? They didn't, because they did more of that next season. <laughs> so never mind. Uh, I guess they did, and last, last Christmas is super life and death 
big takeaway uh, you know thing at, at, at its center yeah. as well so it clearly is very much on Moffat's mind alrighty and that was Dark Water and Death in Heaven here on Pull to Open should we go to the TARDIS randomizer, randomizer Chris now I know yes, we have new we randomizer should. technology we have previously been using um, some technology from the 21st century Google I believe but now uh, we've we've enhanced yeah. that with some modifications. Uh, can you tell we've, us about that? We've upgraded it uh, in a very Doctor Who way. And let me just... Uh, oh, there it goes. There, there goes our new randomizer. Um, <laughs> I don't know how well that came across. That's just a little TARDIS <laughs> USB uh, hub sitting on my desk that does that every time you, you plug in a USB. Dual. But yes, we, we were pre- previously using the algorithmically generated... Um, Google random number. Uh, I did a bit of research and discovered that if you go to random.org, um, they will give you a true random number that is based on atmospheric noise. Interesting. Uh, which is fascinating. And I'm going to have to do some more digging into exactly how they do that. But that strikes me as so Doctor Who. Yes. So completely Doctor Who to do it based on atmospheric noise. I love it. Um, that it's just irresistible. So, so, so we I have, have the same, same list of every Doctor Who story, uh, which goes yep. up to Revolution of the Daleks. So there's 298 of them as we count. And we went over the count last time. Yep. Go ahead and go back to that episode. Yep. Fast forward to the end if you have to, to find out exactly yeah. what we count as a story. But there are 298 televised stories of Doctor Who. And here we go. We're going to go to the next one based on our new randomizer tech, based on atmospheric right. noise. Are we ready? I'm ready. Minimum one, maximum 298, generate. 262. Whoa, modern era again. Oh, boy. Uh, oh, it's sleep your... no more. <laughs> sleep no more. We're with Capaldi still. We, we, we jumped oh ahead a few episodes. Yeah. That's well. Thanks, atmospheric noise. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't remember enjoying sleep no more very much. You know, I think we're going to have we might have a strong disagreement on this one. I remember enjoying that one, and I really I, I might have been a little biased because as we were just talking about our, our Doctor Who writing careers at Mashable, I went to the New York preview of this with Mark Gattis, and. Huh. He wrote this episode, uh, as as most people know. I think yeah. Mark Gaddis is a, a big uh, player in terms of a writer and actor, in, even in Doctor Who. And um, he wrote this, and it's a very unique episode for a lot of reasons, which we'll get into when we talk about it. But he was there, answered a lot of Q and A from the fans, and we. Uh, I I think that might have <clears throat> made me a little more acclimated to what he was trying to do there. And I, I kind of liked it. I, I I I like found footage type uh, type stories, like Blair Witch yeah. type stuff, which this clearly is. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. Well, that's exciting. I I, I look forward to one in which we can we can disagree mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> and to to hear more about your um, your Mark Addis experience. Um, yeah, and we'll 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 watch it and we'll figure out why why has the randomizer just taken us forward a few episodes. Um, and does does the randomizer just love Capaldi and Davison, and we're going to be forced to watch all of their episodes <laughs> before we go anywhere else? It's possible, uh, but like like, like the in. TARDIS, 
it it doesn't necessarily take you where you want to go. It always takes you where you need to go. And ladies and gentlemen, where you need exactly. to go now is if you have not yet been a subscriber to this podcast. This is a podcast. It is pulled to open. We thank you very much for listening, but we'd love you to also subscribe on whatever podcast platform you like, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Google, Breaker, there's there's you know Audible, there's all kinds of them. I'm sure you're familiar because you're listening to this. Um, and tell your friends. And please share that podcast for anyone else uh, who you think would love to pick apart Doctor Who episodes and have fun jumping around the whole of Doctor Who. Um, please leave us a review yep. if you have a minute. Mash that, mash that subscribe button like you're the Doctor punching the TARDIS console. And if once you've done it, go back and do it again on another account and another <laughs> device because you can't, like, the feeling is just great. Uh, to watch that button yep. change before your eyes. But if you <laughs> want to stop subscribing because you've subscribed enough, go ahead and start reviewing. Leave us a review. Uh, every review obviously helps the show, helps us reach more people. And we actually really would genuinely love to hear from each and every one of you. Uh, we really would love to know uh, what your thoughts on the randomizer, how we're doing this, and uh, any other thoughts you have on our rambling. So go ahead and do that. Follow us on the socials. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're at pull to open 63 We're doing tweets. We're doing photos. We're doing stories. Uh, it's not just stuff from the show, even though we do that. We also have, you know, Chris and I have been collecting Doctor Who stuff for a long time, and uh, some of that mm. stuff is appearing on those feeds. Also, follow us on TikTok at pull to open Just that. Just pull to open So on Twitter yeah. and Instagram, it's pull to very, open 63 On TikTok, it's pull to open um, huh. yeah. I didn't realize we'd snag the, the actual uh, name of the show. I know. And once <laughs> on our, once our TikTok following is so huge, <laughs> which I'm predicting yeah. uh, will happen it's, uh, sometime before Doctor Who is over anyway, um, <laughs> the uh, well, I'm sure Twitter and Instagram would love to give us the original handle uh, with uh, in, yeah. in those, on those platforms too. But for now, it's pulled to open 60. We'll get, we'll get that. We'll get that. Yeah, well, well, thanks, Pete. This is super exciting, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to our next adventure. All right, thank you for. And uh, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Future Boy. Follow me at Pete Paschal and, if you really uh, want to, because I occasionally do some Doctor Who stuff there too. All right, guys, we'll see you for sleep no more. Bye bye.